The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. We're going to continue in our series, Culture of Care. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the fifth installment of a six-part series entitled Culture of Care. Each of these sermons has been titled with an important P word. We started with perspective. Uh, what is what is suffering? Where did it come from? And how does God use it to show care and love to people? And how is he doing that through the church? We talked about proximity, how care is always best felt in closeness. And so we move towards people who are in pain and just the way that God does towards us. Thirdly, we looked at preoccupation. Uh, Pain and stress always become the preoccupying factor for us when we experience it. And for us to show care to others means we have to be preoccupied with them and their situation. But that's not how we start. We don't convince ourselves to be preoccupied with others. We recognize that God is actually preoccupied with us and that love flows to us and then through us to others. Last week, we looked at priority, the importance of priority, that we can't be caring until we've created margin, room in our life. And then we need to recognize what is our impulse. Sometimes we go beyond our ability to care. Uh, Other times we're too busy to care. And for some of us, uh, there isn't enough impulse to care because sometimes we see people suffering as a result of their own mistakes. And yet it's the grace of God that moves in our direction. God made us his priority uh, when we had been the ones to do wrong. And so we wanna be people of grace and people of priority. This morning, we're gonna talk about purposefulness. Purposefulness. If you guys were here, I would say, somebody say purposefulness. Now that's a particularly cumbersome way of saying it. I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, why not just the word purpose or why not the word purposeful? Well, I'm, I'm strategic with purposefulness because purpose is something that we are made for. We are in search of, we're trying to understand why God put us here in the first place. What is our purpose? Purposeful is when we know what that is and then we're seeking to align our decision-making and our priorities and our plans with that purpose. And we can stay purposeful for uh, time to time, but purposefulness is kind of that state of being purposeful, uh, that, that constant commitment to carrying out that which God made us for. And that is the sweet spot that a church that has a culture of care is going to find. We're going to be a people of purposefulness. And so I want to talk about this with us this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I love this passage because it really starts to give us a vision for what God's doing in the church and how each of us plays a role in that. We need every single person who's a part of the church of Jesus to be who God made you to be, to fulfill your purpose. One of my favorite podcast typology with Ian Cron, he ends every episode by quoting the famous Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. And so we wanna be people like that, that we know who we are and we walk in who we are and we're able to be a blessing each and individually. And as we do that, we create a culture of care where each of us can do what God put us here uniquely to do and allow other people to do what God wired them for. So I wanna talk about purposefulness. Now, in order to understand the passage, we have to kind of get an idea of what was going on. This is a corrective passage. So the Corinthians in this first century church were fixated on this new gift, this manifestation of the spirit that was the gift of tongues. 
This is kind of uh, an ecstatic response to a spirit-filled experience that kind of bubbles over into verbiage that is unknown to the speaker. And so if you've been in churches where there's the gift of tongues, maybe you've heard that before, but everybody's, everybody's speaking in tongues. And in the gathering, that was seen as like the identifying characteristic of someone who was spiritual. And so everybody who could speak in tongues did speak in tongues and it was loud and it was meaningless. And there were people who don't speak in tongues who were being left out or judged. And so this was not a healthy environment. And so the apostle Paul cares about this church. And so he writes into this situation and among others, and this one comes to us in chapter 12. And they had gotten focused on one gift, namely the gift of tongues, one manifestation of the spirit, not the many, one preoccupying activity that became the thing by which everyone else was judged one criterion for comparison that started to really tear down the unity of this church. And so the apostle Paul sees the danger in that and begins to write to it. Now, this is very unusual for us, but we all have the same tendency. We tend to get preoccupied with the new, the novel, things that we haven't experienced before. We recently got our 11-year-old daughter a phone stripped out, and uh, but still, every day we see her with her phone Okay, put your phone down. Okay, put your phone down. We get something new. We tend to get preoccupied with it. It's also common. Uh, most people had tongues in the early church in the first century. Lots of people did. There's only a kind of a margin or minority of people that didn't have this gift. And so it, this is something that we kind of get preoccupied with. And so we're like the same way. Now you can imagine though, this is very odd. It's new and it's exciting for people and they feel God's presence when they're practicing this gift, but it isn't accomplishing much. I was thinking about the Olympics, which are on uh, right now, presently, and uh, we're, we're watching the variety of human capacity, uh, their ability to run the fastest, jump the farthest, do the most. And, and uh, it's really fascinating. But can you imagine if there was an Olympic sport for like gargling, like something that everybody can do, but doesn't really benefit anybody but the person doing it. And everybody was trying to out gargle one another, like that would be a little silly, but that's effectively what's happening in church services in the first century. The apostle Paul is writing to to go, okay, you guys got to stop this. But he doesn't just tell, tell him, cut it out. He actually redeems the gift and he puts it in place and he provides some direction. So we're gonna see as we kind of move through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we pull out this theme of purposefulness. So let's check it out together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so we've got this variety, same, variety, same. To each is given, verse seven, the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So Paul recognizes that this is a gift and it's a gift that reveals God. And it's a gift that reveals God for the good of everyone, but everybody's received one of these gifts. It's not just about tongues. Verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom to another, the same utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And so he enumerates a bunch of these different gifts to show a sampling of their variety. And in verse 11, he says, all these are empowered 
by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You see, he's starting to cut through the comparison. God's the source of these gifts. He's the one who's decided who gets what. He's the one that creates a variety among the unity of the church. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. The first thing that we see emerge out of this chapter is that the Christian church is meant to be many made one. Many made one. In this passage, the apostle Paul is making the not so subtle point that it's not just about you. The Corinthian church had become myopic and somewhat self-centered and they were using this gift that God had given them to build them up personally as a way to draw attention to themselves and to create a pecking order, a hierarchy within the church based on spirituality. And so this is where this had come from. And the apostle Paul realizes this. Now we don't have this issue going on in Christchurch right now. Praise the Lord. It is not a crazy fest of people all speaking in tongues all at the same time. And people who don't have that gift feeling left out and looked down upon and judged. But we do live in a society where presently we are, we are kind of overwhelmed by prosperity and privacy. And so we can get very accustomed to being comfortable personally and then having kind of our little bubble. And we can even start to treat church like a little place that we go for us that other people happen to be and we wanna come in and we wanna come out and we wanna kind of keep those interactions to a minimum. You know, it's easy for us to even just turn to online church and be more comfortable in this environment and just stay here but God's design is for many to be made one and to be a part of that oneness together. There's a, there's a bit of a collectivist element that's happening here in this first section. It's a reminder that we are many from many different places, but we are one. We, ha- we share one very important relationship in common that is with Jesus through faith, that we are, we are in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that we have God as our father, that we are part of one another and that God has placed a gift inside of each of us, more than one, so that we can not only bring about his presence and his spirit into an experiential environment, a manifestation of the spirit, but that we would do that for the common good, that the way we do that, the way we use our gifts would build up the body and be a blessing to other people. And so the apostle Paul kind of overcomes this self-focused error. It's not just about you, but there's another really important error that gets overcome here. Then I think that's even more relevant to us. And that is that we tend to find our value in our purpose or in our function. Oftentimes uh, we are walking in a vacuum of value and we look to things we can do to add value. And so as we serve other people, as we utilize gifts of leadership, as we uh, function in a way that's a blessing to other people, because we're a blessing to them and because they, people show us gratitude and affirmation, we tend to chase down purpose for the sake of value. And what the apostle Paul does here really flips that over because we're meant to experience our value before we ever engage with our purpose. See, the reality is that Jesus came to fulfill his purpose to seek and save that which is lost. And so when we weren't serving our purpose, when we weren't serving our function, when we weren't being a blessing, we were valuable 
to God, enough that he would die to save us. And so that is the source of our value and must be the source of our value. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. God did something. He came after us. He caused a change. He cleansed us. He brought people from different backgrounds and experiences. He put us together and he's the one that's given us life in his spirit. This is the picture. And it's, it's interesting to me in verse 12 that it doesn't say just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with the church. Instead it says, so it is with Christ. There's an intimacy our connection, our our being joined with Jesus that establishes our value before we've ever done the first thing. And this is critical for us. If we're gonna be able to maintain purposefulness as a church and create this culture of care that God wants to build in us individually and as a church family, then we have got to get our value from God. He created us in his image. He died to save us. He sent Jesus to to rescue us. He cleanses us and fills us with his spirit before we've ever done the first thing for him or for another people. And so this has got to be the source of our value. And it's from that place of value that we can then fulfill our purpose. If we're always seeking value in the things that we do, uh, that'll only be temporary and transient, ultimately result in resentment and disunity. And so this is super, super important. One author I read says it this way, you, you are a human being, not a human doing. And so you find your value in who you are to God, not in what you do for him or for others. And so here we have many made one, and yet we are not a singularity. And so to overcome this self-centered error or this, this uh, purpose to value error, the apostle Paul reminds us that we are part of one another So we are many made one, but we are also one made of many, one made of many. And so there is an individualistic element. There is something we need to zoom in on here as well. Everyone's individual part is critical. And so we're not all the same. We're all part of the same thing, but we all fulfill different purpose. Look at verse 14. So the previous section is about our oneness from many but becoming a part of the whole doesn't mean we lose our individuality. In fact, it matters all the more because God made you to be you. So check this out, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Check out verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And so we go back to the source of your purpose, the same source of your value, God chose you. The same source of your purpose, God placed you where he wanted you to be. God gave you the gifts he wanted you to have. God put you with the people he wanted you to serve. And so spiritual gifts and our purpose is not self-directed. We don't get to choose our own adventure. We have been chosen by God, filled by God, called by God. He is the one who sources all of this. And this is one of the reasons that we can value the person in front of us. We don't need to compare because it's not about how am I compared to you? 
It's about who are you as a gift from God to me and who am I as a gift from God to you and how are we supposed to play a part in this together that's complementary? And so we are one, but made of many. And so they have this, this potential error here where we can, we can miss purpose. We can kind of diagnose by looking around to see what's celebrated, what's important. And so maybe for you, if it's not public ministry, if it's not worship ministry and being on the worship team or, or preaching or leading something and having a prominent place, then you don't think it's really that important. And everything else is just kind of like something somebody's got to do. And so it doesn't really matter, but that's not the way that God sees it. That's not the way that God set it up. That's not the way that it exists in the church. And so we want to accurately reflect what God has done. We want to value what God values. We want to recognize what God is doing. And so you may end up trying to be the wrong thing, trying to fulfill a purpose that God never intended you to fulfill. And so this is, this is incredibly freeing. Uh, there is no best gift. There is no, um, there is no highly valued gift to God. He made you on purpose and for purpose. And so the reality is just recognizing, are you an eye? Are you a hand? Are you meant to bring the sense of smell or hearing? And then you be you. And so we don't devalue ourselves because we're not what we think is important. And so there can be a mispurposing here. There can also be an unpurposing. This is something that kind of happens to us. The apostle Paul draws our attention to this in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Say, if I don't value feet, then I don't need you. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. You shouldn't be unpurposed. No one should be able to say to you, you don't matter. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You can't do without them. A head's not getting anywhere without feet. Now listen, typically faces are prettier than feet. (laughs) You know that? But Without feet, we don't get there. We just put some shoes on there. If you're like me, some flip-flops and our feet take our head places. And so we, verse 23, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And so we cover up the things that we honor. And so this is kind of an analogy that's coming out of uh, our kind of sense of physical shame. If you ever have anybody walk in on you when you're changing, every single person has this impulse to go, oh, and so we cover. And so we're saying, you know, the thing that matters to us, the thing we want to show honor to, we give greater modesty. That means sometimes the people in the church who are doing such important work never get seen, but we still honor those people. The ones of us who know what they do, we honor them. We thank them. We show them honor where honor is due. And then in verse 24b, it says, but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same, look at it, care for one another. Notice everything we've been talking about so far has been comparison and comparison always leads to division. In the Corinthian church, that was all the people with tongues looked down upon all the people without tongues, stood in judgment of them. All the people who had lesser gifts to them uh, were neglected or abused while the people that had the gift that everybody agreed that was spectacular and wonderful entered this elite class. And when you have any type of tears in the body of Christ, automatically you have comparison and division and destruction. That is not what God designed. He designed the body that we would have a sense of honor towards each other, that we would value each person for who God made us to be. And that in that value, no one would lack any affirmation 
or sense of value in the community. We would all see how each person's part is critical and important. And that would be a unifying force. When you are valued, when you are looked at and, and, and seen as indispensable and critical, and when you are thanked, uh, th- that is where the sense of unity and building comes from. So comparison leads to division. And yet this unity, this honor leads to care. And so we begin to recognize, hey, a part of the body suffering or a part of the body is lacking, that's going to affect all of us. And we're going to move to that lack. We're going to move to that suffering and we're going to seek to bring care uh, for the whole. Verse 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so these, it's these interactions with each other that are based on the way we see things. And so when we see that, hey, we are many made one, we are all in this together, we're a part of each other, that's got to be where we start. God did that. But we are also one made of many. And so we each have a unique contribution. And so we should value everybody for their differences and for their unique composition and for the callings that they have and the gifts that God has given them. We don't want to mispurpose ourselves by pursuing something that we think is better that God says is different. And we don't wanna be unpurposed by disdaining people because their gift is different than ours, seeking to elevate our own sense of value. Do you see that? And so these interactions with each other matter. Now, I don't know if you know anything about waves. You know, I'm a surfer and so I care about waves. Anything I can learn about waves is fascinating to me. Now, waves are just energy moving through a medium. And so I was learning about wave interference at one point and something stuck out to me that just blew my mind. When you think about this for a second, if you have a wave that has a peak and a trough and they're, they're going up and down, there's that frequency, that modulation. If you have another wave that's, that's the, very similar and they interact with each other, if they interact uh, peak to trough, they end up canceling each other out. When you end up comparing what you're best at with what somebody else's weakness is in order to feel better about you, you end up actually with this thing called destructive interference. And these things end up turning them both things into nothing. I think that's fascinating. Meanwhile, though, if you take two waves, even if they're not exactly the same, if they align with their strengths and weaknesses with their peaks and their troughs, when those things come together, it actually amplifies the strengths for both. And so you get this constructive interference. And I think this is the same in the church. We can have this impulse to compare, this impulse to say, well, my thing over here is better than your thing over here. And when we do that, we cancel out each other. But when we come alongside each other and we say, your strength is beautiful and my strength is my strength and they don't need to compare, we come alongside each other, we can actually accomplish more together than we could individually. And so we want to have the same type of reality in each of our interactions that we are allowing where we intersect to not be destructive, but to be constructive. And so what are the quality of your interactions with others? In competition, we cancel, but in collaboration, we care and we combine and we compound. And so this is what we are passionate about. And this is what a culture of care ought to produce. We ought to be a culture also of value, a culture of honor, a culture of purpose that values every single person that's eager to find out who people are and how God has wired them and how they are supposed to function in the life of the church and how we can be a blessing to them and how they will be a blessing to us. This is, this is what it's all about. Many made one, one made of many. And then we also have a goal. This is what I love about the way 1 Corinthians chapter 12 kind of seamlessly moves into the famous 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, each part is different, but the goal is the same. So this unity piece is important because we're working toward a common goal. 
Now, even like any team, sports team, a football team, there's all sorts of different positions, but the goal is the same. It's to get that ball into the end zone. It's to get that ball uh, down the line. And so we're working towards the goal and everybody's using their individual gifts in order to make that happen. And so what's the goal for the Christian church? It's love for others. It's love for each other that we build each other up in the community and it's love for others that we show the love of Christ, the manifestation of the spirit to a watching world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Now here we have a, a, a statement about identity. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Many made one, one made of many. And God has appointed in the church. Now look at these, look at these gifts. Listen to what these gifts are for. In the church, first, apostles sent messengers. Second, prophets, revealers of the heart of God. Third, teachers, those who take God's word and apply it to people's lives. Then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. All things that happen in the life of the church for the good of the church and furthering its mission. And then we get into this series of of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. And in this statement, the apostle Paul instantly sweeps the legs out from underneath of this criteria for judging someone's spirituality because God did not design the body of Christ to gather and just chatter in tongues as though that was somehow spiritual. God designed the body of Christ to get a message out, to attest that message with with miracles and healing and to experience the activity of the Holy Spirit in a way that draws people's attention to God. Do all interpret? No. Each one of these things is a rhetorical question to imply that there is a variety of gifts, but we have one body with one mission. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, that is the ones higher up on this list, And still, I will show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? The excellent way is not about the execution of the gifts. The excellent way is the love that is in your heart towards other people as you use the gifts you have. There is a goal to this whole body of Christ thing, and it's bringing a message of love and hope to the world. Verse verse one of chapter 13, it's familiar to you, I'm sure, but listen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Do you see how outward and others focused the purpose, the mission of Christ is that his body is meant to be fulfilling in real time? And then what does that look like? We slow down here in verse four. Listen to these words. These are are familiar words. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now we can take this little passage that I've just read and we can substitute the word love for God. We know that God is love. And so it reads easily, God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. But we are also meant with love as our purpose and motive and reason for being. We are meant to be able to insert our name in there as well. Jesse is patient and kind. Bill does not envy or boast. Sandy is not arrogant or rude. Johnny does not insist on his own way. Chuck is not irritable or resentful. Amy does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You fill the name out and somehow that starts to feel a little off, a little wrong, but this is who we were made to be. And by the power of God's spirit and through the cleansing power and transformation of God's son, this is who God made us to be. And this is what this unity in the church is all about. This is what purposefulness really is. It is being who God says we are in Christ, walking in the love that he made us for and then doing the peace that he has uniquely called us to do individually. And when we all do that together, we will create a culture of care that is characterized by purposefulness. I need you to be who God made you to be. You need me to be who God made me to be. And we need to not be in competition, not be judging one another, not be trying to evaluate and become the best, not trying to find value from our doing, but value in our being. And so how are we supposed to maintain this? How are we supposed to grow in this direction? Well, it's really quite simple. I think it's important, number one, that we recognize the reality, the Corinthians, they had this impulse to fixate on the new and the the novel and the kind of most visible and the common. And so it's a thing where we all can kind of do that. We tend to do this on social media. We compare our vacations and our family photos and how much money we appear to be making and how happy we appear to be. And and we take these things that are just kind of common that everybody's experiencing or some new thing that pops up. And we we all focus in on doing that. I don't know how many um, hundreds of people now I've seen dancing 15 seconds of fancy like. I don't... we're all just fascinated. It's why TikTok is so uh, such, such a success. It's because I can do that and I'm gonna try to do it a little better than the last person. And so we have this impulse to, to just jump on the new and the novel and the common and then compare and, and try to become better than other people in the most visible way possible. And we just have to recognize that reality. It's a real reality in our own hearts and it's in the world and it's in the church. And once we recognize that though, we can, we can diffuse it. We can apply the same reality that the apostle Paul directed us to, that we are one that we are a part of each other, that we're not trying to compete, but we're a family, we're a body, we're, we're an organism. That doesn't make us a singularity. We're not all exactly the same, but we're one, we're in this together, but we all are bringing our unique piece to it. And so we gotta be f- committed as people to have our value established and that we were made in God's image, that we were valuable enough to God, that he would send his son to die for us, that he would redeem us. That's the source of our value and that he empowers us by his spirit to fulfill a purpose that's not so that we can find value, but so that we can be a part of what God is doing in the world to bring about love towards other people. So we gotta get that value before purpose. And then we we care instead of compare. 
care always unifies. You will always be closer to someone who shows you an aspect of care. And in order to care for somebody, you can't be in comparison with them. I'm not trying to be better than you. I'm just trying to love you. And so care has this unifying effect and comparison has this dividing effect. And so this is what we're committed to doing. Uh, Further down in chapter 14, which we don't have time for, the apostle Paul talks about how we need to be able to recognize um, like like an instrument. We don't wanna just be blah, 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 blabbing away in tongues because it doesn't do any good just like an instrument has to be played not only in its tone, but in tune. And so it's kind of like a, a kid. I don't know if you've ever had that. We have little kids in our house, but um, a few weeks ago, somebody sent home a little package of fun stuff for the kids. And in there was a little recorder, a little uh, flute type of instrument. And Julian thought that was the greatest thing ever. He needs just been blowing crazy loud notes all through the house. And I tell you, he is the only one that's enjoying it <laughs> because uh, there is no tune. There is, it is just piercing whistling. Um, he's, ha- he's having the time of his life. The rest of us are miserable. And this is what happens when we come into a community and we try to uh, grab some gift and use it to our own enjoyment, to our own exaltation. It's, he's the only one enjoying it. And so Paul talks about this in chapter 14. And then in verse 12, he says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, which is a great thing. He, even in their mess, he recognizes, look at this people's eager to see God present and to see the manifestation of the spirit. So what should you do? Redirect away from this fixation on the gift of tongues and strive to excel in building up the church. Be a church that speaks, speaks encouragement, speaks wisdom, speaks knowledge, prays for healing, moves to bless, to administrate, to help, to bring interpretation to tongues, to do all the things that's gonna build up the body and pull people in and show people love. I mean, that's the point. The body of Christ is still fulfilling the mission of Christ. Jesus' mission has not changed. I want to close right here in John chapter 12, just to focus us on this mission element. This really strange passage in John chapter 12, this is the pivot of John's gospel. Everything from chapter 13 forward is kind of the second half. It's the is the movement of Jesus towards Jerusalem. It's all of Jesus' ministry is built up towards chapter 12. And in chapter 12, some Greeks come to see Jesus. Now this could be like the epitome of Jesus' influence. It's gone beyond Nazareth, it's gone beyond Galilee, it's gone beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea. And now people from the foreign world, the Gentile world are coming to encounter Jesus. And so this should be a signal of Jesus' success. His disciples are excited about it. The message about these Greeks wanting Jesus' attention is traveling through the disciples to Jesus. And so the word gets to Jesus. These Greeks wanna see you, Jesus. And in verse 24, Jesus says the most profound and unexpected statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. What Jesus is saying here is I'm not gonna talk to these Greeks because that's not my job. I'm not looking for global exaltation. What I'm looking for is to die because it's in my death 
that there's gonna be fruitfulness. It's when Jesus' body goes into the earth that the beginning of the church age happens when eternal life becomes a thing that people can experience, when the transformation of salvation can begin to hit every single person, when the Holy Spirit of God can indwell every single person and more and more and more people can be saved. The good news for these Greeks is not that they could talk with Jesus, it's that Jesus would die for them. And that's the good news for you as well. And so as Jesus contemplates this and he calls people to live this way, not to self-exaltation, but to a life that's committed to fulfilling your purpose, even to the point of your own death for the good of other people. This is the Jesus way, the cross way. When Jesus considers this and says these things, even recognizing that God's gonna exalt him, verse 27, he says, now is my soul troubled. I mean, these are painful realities for Jesus to consider his own death. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come. Do you see Jesus' purposefulness? Do you see his commitment to what he's present there to do? He knows his value comes from his father. His value comes from his identity, but he's here to fulfill a purpose. And despite the pain and the fear and the rejection and the confusion that's gonna surround that purpose, he's committed for this purpose. I have come to this hour. He says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is speaking here of his exaltation on the cross. It is at the point of Jesus' death that he transforms hearts and minds, that he draws people to himself, that he reveals himself as the creator, covenant-making God who died in your place so that in him, you could experience true life, to be a part of his body, indwelt by his spirit, to bring his love and care and truth to the world. And so Jesus is still drawing people. And maybe right now he's drawing you. Maybe you're, you're tuning into this sermon and you're thinking about things you've never thought before. And you can, you can feel God drawing you, speaking your name, pulling you to this reality that God loves you, that he made you, that he has a plan for you, that he's never gonna forsake you, that he died to save you. This was his purpose. Maybe he's drawing you to himself right now. And you know, this is the day when I've got to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're aware of your own failure. Maybe you're at the end of your own rope, or maybe you just know deep in your soul that now it's time. It's time to be who God's called you to be, not to look for meaning elsewhere and what you can do and how you compare and how good the world says you are, but instead, to be loved by God, to be saved, to be forgiven. Maybe God's calling you right now. Or maybe God's been speaking to you through this sermon to redirect your attention away from comparison, away from that thing which you think is the best, to be able to stand in the value that you have as a a creature made in God's image, loved by him, a child of God, but also called and, and empowered to fulfill a purpose. Maybe God's setting you free to fulfill that purpose right now. No matter who you are or where you're at, every single one of us has been called by God to fulfill this purpose and to walk in purposefulness. The way we're gonna maintain a culture of care at Christ Church is to keep this purposefulness intact. We are the body of Christ, one of many, many made of one, composed to care and a people of purposefulness. Let me pray for you as we close. Gotta pray first and foremost for those that you are drawing to yourself. God, those who are in search of meaning, purpose, and value and found it in the words of your scriptures. God, I pray that you would 
speak life into their being right now. God, as by faith, they believe you and turn in your direction. You can just pray, you know, God, forgive me, help me, take my life. When you pray those words and mean them, that is when God's gift of salvation comes. When God forgives you and God establishes you as a son or a daughter and God pours his spirit into your being and begins to walk with you. So I wanna invite you to do that. In the next few minutes after this sermon ends, you just take a moment to have that conversation with God and invite him in and ask for his forgiveness. That's where the power is. And God, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, we're seeking to create a culture of care. We're seeking to be who you made us to be and be a blessing to other people. We're seeking to be mindful of others and to eliminate comparison and to be a people unified, interdependent, complementing one another, encouraging one another, honoring one another. God, I pray that we would continue to do this and that we would remain purposeful, that we would have this purposefulness as a culture of care and as a church in a way that keeps that perspective of what you are doing, how we are a part of. God, I pray for every single one of our Christchurch members, Lord, that you would speak to us and direct us, reveal to us what our specific and unique part is, and then empower us as we prioritize our lives, empower us to fulfill that part of your mission, to build up the church and to bring your love and truth to a world in desperate need of a touch from you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Only one more week of this and I look forward to being back with you on August 15th for communion and one life update. God bless you guys. Stay healthy. We're continuing to pray for everyone on our list. Keep communicating with us. Let us know how we can be a blessing to your family. Share this right in the comments below. And uh, we look forward to connecting with you soon. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.